part. And it made me realize that systems and process don't remove creativity. They actually create the space for the creativity. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have David Jennings. He is the author of the book, Systemology. He himself has started multiple companies, built one of the biggest agencies in Australia, and he did it by firing himself from every task around systems. So with his book, he really lays out the playbook for if you really want to scale, it's all about building systems so you can fire yourself from a task, but also make a business that's built to sell and built to scale. So again, this one's really tactical. We go through the common mistakes people make when doing this. We talk about, you know, what is that seven step process for defining what systems you need, assigning it, the tools you can use, so you don't have to do it yourself. And then how you organize, integrate, build a culture of, of systems so you can scale. And we kind of go down this path of like, this is truly a superpower that if you want to scale your business, focusing on systems is a huge unlock. So again, this one gets really tactical. If you're looking at all at building something to scale, I definitely check this one out. So really hope you enjoy this one. All right, today on the podcast, I have David Jennings and is 100% for selfish purposes. I'm doing, I'm getting on the podcast so he can solve every single one of my problems when it comes to building a system and scaling a company. David, thanks for coming on today. It's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening that are going to have exactly the same challenges when it comes to process. So looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. And, and Dana, where are you located today? Yes, I'm in Melbourne, Australia. So it's, I'm just getting started for the day and I think you're on the other side. So it is yeah. amazing. We live in a flat world. That's for sure. Yeah. I saw you have a steaming hot cup of warm coffee and mine is like, I have like two sips left that I'm savoring. So I, I'm, I'm envious. You, you're fresh. Yes, that's right. Fresh and sharp <laughs> and ready to talk about systems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's actually just, could you just give an intro, a quick kind of overview of you and like leading up to the book so people have that mm. context? I owned a digital agency called Melbourne SEO Services for 13 years. And I worked in the operations of that business for 10 of the years. So I was very much uh, at the start of the business, all hands on deck. I was doing sales, marketing, operations. I was keeping on top of the trends with changes in Google. And I think probably about a few years before I actually stepped out, like the big turning point was we found out we were pregnant and I had that picture in my head where I thought, I don't want to be that dad who's always too busy. And like I was doing 60 hour weeks at the time and I was just thinking, no, nah, this is unsustainable with young family. I need to make a change. And it was funny, intuitively, I knew systems and processes were the way to step out. I know all great businesses scale and become like reduce that key person dependency by installing systems and processes. But for whatever reason, I'd resisted it up until that point. And then I thought, no, I've got to figure this thing out. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to be chained to the business. And I went through a, a process over about 12 months uh, where I strategically removed myself, ultimately recruited or trained up someone in the team who took over the CEO position. And then I stepped out, took a year off and really reassessed where I was at, what I was doing, what I love doing. And I realized at that point in time, having been in the digital agency world for so long, that I fell out of love with the business. And that's when uh, I started working on a side project, which is now very much become my my main focus these days. And that's very cool. And it's so funny, like, like uh, one question I had, I want to hit on that you kind of did is like, why should people care about systems? Everybody's talking about system. Well, so why does it matter? Because it's funny when 
you like fantasize or dream of like a company. It's like having that light bulb moment for the idea and like all these other fun things. You're never like, oh, let me dream of building the best standard operating procedure in documentation. Yeah. But the truth is, as someone that's like deep in the agency game, like if you don't have systems, you are a prisoner to your business. And it's so not sexy to focus on systems, but if you can create systems, if you can delegate to people to elevate so you can focus on what you want to focus on, it's the biggest unlock. And the sad thing is someone like me, I didn't realize it till you're drowning in the work, half of which maybe you don't enjoy doing, but you have to do. And like the only way out is the non-sexy systems. Is that is that like the right way to approach why systems matter? Was that a good spiel for you or no? Yeah. Well, I see it. The more I focus in on this, I've realized it's the master skill of the business owner to develop effective systems. Because all you're doing is you're codifying your way, how something is done. So when you first get up and running, you're figuring it out. Once you've decided or fallen upon your way, you then want to capture that so that that task can then be delegated down to free you up to work on the highest value tasks. It's not just you though, it's actually all of your team members, your best team members oftentimes can get stuck doing busy work and you want to think about how can you delegate down? How can they take these recurring, essential, delegatable tasks, capture those and then pass them down to team members? So, uh, and there's different stages to the game as you kind of start. Sometimes it's just, it feels like you're a little bit of whack-a-mole in business and you're just solving one problem and then a week later or the next day you're solving the same problem again. So it kind of feels a little bit just, you know, the problems just keep popping up. But over time, you know, you put a good system in place that helps to solve that or reduce that or get that handled. And then it frees you up to work on higher value tasks. And that's part of how you scale and grow your business. You want to be working on the highest problem or that highest value problem as opposed to very basic ones. That's kind of where people start. Sometimes people think about exiting their business. That's another reason that someone might systemize. That's quite common. When you're selling a business, the potential acquirer will value your business significantly more if you don't have key person dependency and you've got systems and processes, which reduces the risk for them because then they feel like, well, the business can continue to function. So systems for me though, I, I just see it as the the building blocks of all great business. There's no way around it. At some point in time, you will need to address this. You, you hit on something that I think is really interesting is like being good at systems is like a master skill you can develop as a founder, as a CEO, as an executive, as a leader, because systems enable scale. I was weird. I forget which book it was. It's around most companies go into the black hole of business, which is between one to five million in sales and they can't get out of it, right? Not that it's a horrible place to be if you can run it efficiently, but it's so hard to break through and really scale and grow. And systems are the key unlock for that. Because someone like even our business, it's like we've been built systems and processes around a lot of things, but right now we have it with sales. It's still me. And by me having to do all the sales, I can focus on other those other high impact things. So, well, what I'd love to do today is I, I do want to get into your process because people should really check out even just the free version of systemology as far as what you can read, like the different levels of survival and like scalability and being saleable. I want to get into that. But first, why do people go? Where do people go wrong? Why is this so freaking hard? to like build a systems driven business. What are those common like mistakes that people make just so we can be aware of that before we go down this path? Mm. A lot of the work and the picture that the business owner has in their head about what systems and processes are comes from methodologies like Lean and Six Sigma, which are these process improvement methodologies. And whenever a founder sees systems and processes, they're usually seeing it after it's well-developed. So they think of all of the documentation that they must have at McDonald's or inside Amazon or Google, these big corporates. So that's the picture they have in their head of what they think process is. But what they're looking at there is the result of tremendous amounts of work uh, with 
you know, we're talking multinational companies, which is very different from their business where they're getting started. And sometimes that can create this level of overwhelm, not knowing where to start, feeling like, well, I'm not a systems person. That's oftentimes another reason, especially creative founders or, or visionary founders, because founders, they'll, they'll, they think about this problem and they go to work on solving that problem. They build a business around it. And they're oftentimes they have to move quickly and they don't have the time they believe to create systems and processes. They don't think they're that wired that way. So they just uh, ignore it. And like, I, I think that's probably one of the, the biggest things that they just don't see themselves as a systems person. And I think part of the work that I do is thinking about the business owner when they're in at that state. They've got some traction, they've got a small team, they're selling their products and services, they're starting to realize that they're the bottleneck. And this is the point where they need to evolve and to break through to that next level. We have to think about as well, what is the smallest possible steps? We don't go from zero systems to hundreds of systems. We go from zero to one. We do the first system, then we do the second one. We, we prioritize, we apply the 80-20 to business and think, you know, the, applying the Pareto principle, what are the most essential systems? And we go to work on those first. And it's just a, a shifting in the culture of the organization. And it starts with the business owner. It always starts with the business owner because oftentimes they're the leader, but then that gets spread across the organization as well. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. It can be daunting. It's like, oh, wow, look at how these other companies document, document everything. It's like, oh my gosh, that's a full-time job to do that. And maybe it's more like crawl before you walk, before you run type approach, well, which leads to my question. It's like, okay, I'm sold on systems. Let's do this. Talk me through where should I start? It's like, okay, do the little things, build systems for that. Or like, no, focus on the biggest thing. Like, where should a owner, operator, founder, or even just a leader, where should they begin if they mm. want to go down this path? So the first step in systemology is called define. And it answers the question, what are the first systems that you should document? Because you're right, after you reach the conclusion that you need to get systems and processes in place, and you might as well start now, then the next question is, well, where? And I've got an exercise called the critical client flow. And it's just about mapping the linear journey that the uh, prospect and client and business goes through to deliver a core product or service. So you have to think about, well, who is your ideal client and what is that primary product or service that you're going to start with? And then you literally very high level, just a few words to explain each step, you would say, how are you currently attracting people into your business? When that inquiry comes in, how are you handling that inquiry? What does your sales process look like? How are you preparing your proposals? Once the person's ready to buy, do you take some money up front? Then how do you onboard them into your business? What things has to be done by the client? What has to be done by the business? Then how do you deliver the core product or service? Again, very high level. And then how do you get them to come back? And we first start off by just mapping that. And then we ask in that, where is the pain? What is the bit where the business owner is obviously the bottleneck or they're subconsciously avoiding particular things because they know that that's going to equal pain? Um, as in, if I got 10 more clients tomorrow. I know that we're not going to be able to deliver for them. So subconsciously, I'm not selling as hard as I could be. Like we, that helps you to narrow in. The critical client flow helps you to identify 10 to 15 systems. And then inside that, you can go to work on the pain point. And the thing is, and the reason we start with the critical client flow, there's a few rules. The rule is firstly, capture what you're currently doing, not what you would like to be doing. So don't try and reinvent something or make it up. Just figure out what you're currently doing and codify that because tremendous wins can be gained by bringing everybody up to that standard, making sure that you're consistent in doing something, even if it's not the best that you know it can be. Consistency will deliver significantly more results than this ad hoc process that is probably currently going on. So uh, that's one of the rules. The other 
rule that you want to think about um, is just because we don't document it doesn't mean it's going to magically stop happening in your business. So that we focus in on the critical client flow because we know if we can deliver that linear journey, the critical client flow, then the business can make money without key person dependency. And that's why we focus in on a single client and a single product. And we start there first, because if you can find a way for the business to generate money without depending on anyone, that unlocks something. Firstly, for the business owner, they go, oh, wow, like they see it and go, my business can make money without me. But then also every other business problem that you have can be solved with cash flow. So if you've got money coming into the business and it's not dependent on you, well, if you've got an HR problem or you're missing an operational problem or you know maybe your management systems or finance systems aren't quite right, well, you can solve it now because you can get a consultant in or you can get a team member to work on that particular problem. So generally, that's where we start. Awesome. So it's like, I love the idea of look at the flow for the end client or the customer to really document everything. And then from there, it's like, hey, what are the bottlenecks? I heard this phrase, like one of their CEO was like, don't be the bottleneck. He's like, that's how you don't grow. And it's like following the pain, where are you the bottleneck? And I was like, it's a good point. Don't come up with what the process should be. Just document what it is right now. Do you have like any recommendations? I'd love to get granular on like, how should you document that? Because like, with sales, someone was telling me, it's like, just use something like Read AI, use an AI tool to do the transcripts for your sales calls and boom, it pumps out your SOPs. Any advice on or hacks on how people should do it? Because I think a lot of people get stuck right there. Like, oh man, I don't know how to yeah. do this. Do I have to like stay up all weekend and write this like amazing yeah. like declaration of independence of an SOP? Like what, what should people do or use? So the next two steps in systemology help to address that. So step number two is assign, which has a lot to do with thinking about where does the knowledge already exist, as in who knows how to do the task that you just identified in that exercise I mentioned before. And where you can, we try and remove the business owner, but we think, oh, Jenny knows how to answer the phone and qualify that inbound inquiry. Great. I'm going to say that she knows how to do that task. Okay. Jim knows how to do the sales process. Okay. His name's going to go there. Okay. Joe knows how to onboard the client. And the next step is to figure out of those key systems we just identified, who knows how to do them. Then the next step, which is step number three, which is extract. And that speaks really specifically to what you're talking about. Now, one of the rules. Uh, of the critical client flow can be applied here as well, which is we capture what we are currently doing, not what we would like to be doing. And you make it a two-person task. That's another little trick here where you have the knowledgeable worker who knows how to do the thing. And you have another person, which we call the systems champion, who's the person who will work alongside that person and record them doing the task. So just like you said, it starts off with, recording the thing happening live in the moment, whether it's handling that incoming lead, whether it's onboarding them into your project management platform, or if it's your sales calls, you just start there because that's kind of like the raw asset. Then uh, with a lot of the advancements with AI, and we can kind of dig into a little bit more that, that, that there's a lot of tools now that we can use to crunch this data. So you can now get those videos transcribed and take that transcription and feed it into ChatGPT or Claude and ask it to uh, extract the key steps from that process. And that just becomes version one. The computers still don't nail it and it's not perfect just yet, but it can speed up the process significantly. And what we do is we capture, we call it the most probable path. And it's this idea that we, you know, if the client says, I want widget B and I want it in red and oh no, this one wants it in green. Like once you start to add in all of these different variations, your systems become bloated and it, it's very hard to document. And for a newer team member, it's hard for them to follow as well. So we just capture 
the most vanilla, the most probable, what is most likely to happen. Assume blue skies and everything goes just the way that you want it and the client says yes and they take your default options. Just start there because the other thing to remember, these systems and processes, oftentimes they're about training newer team members. So you, when a new team member comes on board, you want to give them the underarm throw. You want to make it as easy as possible for them to work through the process while they learn the thing for the first time. Anytime that there's an exception or it falls outside of the system, that's when they flag a, flag it for a supervisor and together they might walk through that exception and decide, oh, does that need to be an adjustment in the system or is that just an exception that you kind of learn on the job as you go and next time now you'll be able to handle that exception and it's kind of like that on-the-job training. But the way I like to think about the process is, is we just need to capture it to a level where you know a reasonably skilled team member but might be new to that particular task can pick it up and run with it and and get pretty far along or at least you know 80% of the way there and then they can chat with a supervisor to get that final 20%. But they're kind of some of the tips specifically for your sales inquiry or, or your sales process question. Yes, I would start off by looking through your sales calls, find three or four sales calls for that specific one product where it was a pretty standard response and the client went reasonably well and start there, feed those into AI, get some of the steps extracted and see if there's similarities amongst the different transcriptions. And you can always just start off with like a high level process. Detail can come later. Just start off with, you know, maybe some word phrasing that you use and the key stages that you move that prospect through before you close. And that's probably where you would start. Yeah, I think it's so easy to be like, oh, wait, but there's this one deviation where we do this or that. It's like, keep it simple out of the gate and and good things will follow. And then you can go to that like next level of sophistication with them understanding. And I actually want to keep going through the process. It's like define, assign, extract, and then I want to hear how you kind of like the organize and integrate, because I'm interested to see if you address the concern. I think a lot of people have where it's like maybe certain founders or owners or executives, they're, they're really good at fulfillment or at sales or something. And they know that when they bring somebody on, there might be a drop off, right? But like, what is bearable? It's like, hey, they're only 90% as good as you or 80% or 70%. Right. And so anyway, I'm, I'm kind of loading up the questions here. I want to go through the process, but I want to hear how you factor in like the potential drop offs. Yes. So that next step, which is step four, which is organized, which is all about where is this knowledge going to exist? Once you start to extract it, it needs to live somewhere. So oftentimes for a lot of organizations, it's everywhere, which really means it's nowhere. It's sitting in a folder on Jenny's computer. It's in Tom's head. It's sitting on a printout, a checklist next to someone's computer. So it's everywhere. It needs to be centrally located. Everybody needs to be able to access it. It needs to be uh, easy and intuitive for them to get their head around. And the team needs to get into the habit of when they've got a question or if they need to save a process, ah, it goes here. And you need to also think about what is the integration with maybe it depends on the business in the agency world, you'd have a project management uh, software maybe that you're using. Sometimes in service-based businesses, it might be a jobs management system. Some businesses are more out in the field. The, the key is to make it as easy as possible to access the system or the SOP at the point at which it's needed. So if you were out in the field and you've got you know trucks and equipment and maybe you're running a roof cleaning company, well, you might get QR codes that stick onto the equipment. And when you scan that QR code on your phone, it jumps to an SOP on how that piece of equipment is set up. Or when you're in the agency land and you've got a project management platform like Asana or Trello, ClickUp, Podio, whatever it might be, the point at which the task is assigned, there needs to be a link to the SOP inside the description. 
So the key is just to make it so easy to access at the point at which it's needed, because then that removes the excuse of, oh, but I didn't know. Yeah, I love that. Like in Asana, we'll put like, oh, here's the template for things when we don't put the actual SOP for each task. That way you're almost making it idiot proof. So anyone can come in. I, I love that. And it makes it, it makes it easier to manage because mm. oftentimes your more senior team members might not open their SOPs every single time once they've done it a million times. But you let them know, I don't care if you open the system or not and follow it, the process, if you're executing flawlessly. But if you're not mm-hmm. following our process, then you need to have it open and you need to go through those steps. And if something isn't done, it's easy to nudge them back and say, great, next time that you do it, you know, and you're doing your keyword research, I want to make sure that you've got our keyword research SOP open. So that that's a real key step. And that sets the frame for the next step, which is integrate, which is all about getting the team on board. Because you can get everything organized, you can document your process, you can have them saved in the right place. But if the team's not going to follow the process and you don't build a systems culture, then it's not really worth anything anyway. Like it's the software isn't going to save you and having everything documented isn't going to save you if the team's not going to follow it. So we need to start to think about, uh, especially at the start, because your existing team members will give you the most resistance, uh, as in when you recruit new team members and they're onboarded to this new process and that's all they ever know, there is no resistance because, oh, that's just how we do things here. All of the challenge happens up front. And this is also one of the reasons why a lot of business owners give up and maybe they try to systemize for three months or six months and they reach a little bit of resistance and then they go, oh, this doesn't work. My team's too creative to follow process or our services are too bespoke. This won't work for us. And they come up with all of these reasons why it can't work. And then they push with it, with it for three to six months and then they just abandon it. And that's that's the worst because they build up this belief that it's not possible for them. But you have to get over the hump. And all of the rewards of systemizing your business happen on the other side of that hump. So we need to talk about in the book this idea of how do you help the team member see that these systems and processes benefit them. This is not about the business owner selling the business or going on a big long holiday and having large amounts of money deposited deposited into their bank account with little or no work. That's that, like that's oftentimes the the frame that a business owner will bring when they're introducing. And the team member thinks, oh, they're introducing systems and they want to know what I'm doing so that they can offshore my work and take it overseas and I'm going to lose my job. Like I kind of like having a black box where no one really knows what I'm doing because that gives me job security. So there's a lot to navigate, but if you can help them to understand that if you want to move up in our organization, the way that you do that is by capturing what you're doing, systemizing it, delegating it down so less skilled team members can take over that task and you're freed up to now work on higher value tasks. That doesn't make you less valuable to the business. That makes you more valuable to the business. Now, that works for some people if they want to work their way up in the organization. Some people aren't looking to work up in the organization, and you might need to find another why for them. You might say, you know, when you go on holiday and after taking a week off, I call you every second day because I want to find out where this client's up to, or I need to chase up that reporter. I can't find where you saved that thing. And then when you come back to work, you spend the next month catching up on all of the work that was waiting while you were off for one week because no one else could do it and nothing else moved forward. Well, I want to put systems and processes in place so that another team member can step in. So you can have a holiday without me following you up and you can disconnect properly. And when you come back, you can hit the ground running because another team member was able to move things forward. So again, a lot of this stage has to do with getting the buy-in from the team members, helping them understand what the benefit is for them. It doesn't quite hit on the point that you had talked about, which was how do you handle the drop-off? The way that I think about the drop-off, I've got this thing in my head where I always come back to if 
if the business is dependent on me, the business is actually broken because if I break, the business breaks. And it's the same with any team member. So I, I keep that in the back of my mind and then I I build it with the thought that it it needs to be executed by another team member. And, and the biggest win I got when I think of the digital agency, I we used to do like SEO and Google ads and, you know, help man- manage websites and things like that. And I was very much the guy and knew the ins and outs and I was on the trends for that. But we had quite a lot of inquiry for creating of content. And I built a sister company called Melbourne Video Production where I wasn't the guy. I'm not a camera guy. I don't know the equipment. I don't know how to shoot. I don't know how to do the editing. And the big moment happened for me was building that business from day one where I couldn't be the guy. And it's almost like a blessing and a curse when the founder starts something and then they can do it because it's so easy to slip back into, I'll just do it. Whereas in the video business, I learned, well, I can't just do it because I don't know the tools. And, you know, I could probably get a junior video editor out of university and he's going to do a better job than I. So it meant that I had to focus on building that business or that section of the business without me. And that's really a big part of what rewired my brain and part of why in systemology, the first step is to build the critical client flow and systemize that because that helps the business owner to see it's possible. And then that sets off a chain reaction in their head. You said something that I think is really interesting was this idea, we said a lot of things, I'm going to backtrack. This idea, I think you said systems champion. And it's almost, I'm, I'm picturing it as this internal person that's owning, if we're doing EOS rocks or owning the main objective of, hey, you're in charge of systems. I, I, I'd even kind of, there's this role that's kind of emerging around like the chief automation officer. Maybe it's like a chief systems officer because someone that could know the system of what needs to be done might not be great at documenting it. And that could look like a huge hurdle. I'm, I'm talking about myself right now. But if you could have someone that can come in to do that, man, it takes a lot of weight and stress off of, of that because it looks like this huge daunting task. I mean, should that be a, like a role that's like on a, a high growth team that's trying to scale? It's like the systems champion. Are you looking at it as like that's their dedicated job or maybe they do some other things, but they're married to this ob- objective for the foreseeable future or mm. like should someone have a chief automation or chief systems officer? It's quite possibly, and I mean, you've got an astute ear there because it's quite possibly the biggest leverage point that I've spotted in all of the uh, fastest scaling companies that we've worked with that are embracing a systems culture. They all identify a systems champion and it doesn't even necessarily need to be like, it's not someone on the leadership team. In many examples, it's the junior team member who is wanting to grow in that particular business. So let's say it's an accounting firm. It's a junior CPA. Let's say it's a hairdresser. It's the junior hairdresser. Or if it's a physiotherapist, it's the junior physiotherapist. And their job, it's almost like they're curious enough to want to know how things work. And yes, you assign that as a role to them. I I think it's uh, a role that we're really looking to raise awareness for because it has such a leverage point in the business to have someone who takes it on because all of your best team members, including the business owner, are busy. Oftentimes, they're also not necessarily systems people or they don't like the documentation piece and it's not a good use of their time. I often say that the business owner is the worst person who should be doing the documentation. So finding that team member who is organized naturally they create process and can't help themselves and they enjoy it and they're hungry and curious getting that person and making it either their full-time thing or or it might be full-time for a sprint so maybe you do it for three months to get it up and running and then maybe they shift gears into more of a part-time role but you need to get the infrastructure 
set up uh, and you need to create your system for creating systems. And that team member makes it easy for your best team members where all they do is they record the video of them doing the thing, they handball it over to the systems champion. The systems champion then does the extraction and documentation, saves it into the right place, emails it back to the expert and says, hey, this is draft number one. Can you give me some feedback? Um, yeah, I, I think that idea in itself is the game changer when it comes to developing process. Yeah, no, that's such good advice. I do like the idea of that junior up and comer that's hungry and curious and maybe has a skill set of being good at documentation. It's huge. But we got lucky. We have two of those on our team that have helped us in, in, in a lot of ways. I want to keep going down this linear path of like define, assign, extract, organize, integrate. I think we have scale and optimize. And I, I like that you hit on building a culture of systems. I think those were some good key points. Yeah, but talk about scaling and optimizing. Yes. So the idea of scale now is we want to achieve what we call minimum viable systems. So the critical client flow identifies 10 to 15 systems that you start with, but that doesn't address HR, management, a lot of finance related systems. So there are other areas of the business. And to reach minimum viable systems, which I see as the tipping point, it's where systems touch every aspect of the business and every team member has some exposure to a system or a process so they can start to see the power of it. And again, we've applied the 80-20 rule to each of the different departments. What are the 20% of the systems in this department that would make or break this department? So HR, what for the HR department to succeed, what things would it need to do? Well, it might need to recruit and onboard and manage some team members. Maybe there's some leave process or annual performance or whatever it might be. You go through the exercise to do that level of thinking in each department and you're looking to identify 10 to 15 systems in each department. And then scale is about... Uh, getting those systems documented and reaching that minimum viable system. So there's a couple of exercises that we have to uncover what those systems are. Remembering that, as always, if you don't document it, doesn't mean it's going to magically stop happening. All we're looking at doing is documenting the things that you want to have happen a certain way or that you've identified as really important to your business. And we capture those. So that's the... Uh, scale stage. And then the final stage, optimize, it's a little bit counterintuitive and goes against quite a lot of the other process improvement methodologies, which oftentimes start with optimize. But I I find you, the quickest wins and the biggest wins can be gained just by increasing repeatability. Most small business struggles with consistency and repeatability because it's key person dependent. If we can solve that problem, doesn't even have to be the best, you'll get these tremendous wins and it creates space. Once that space is created, then the business owner can do his or her best work by starting to thinking about, well, let's re-engineer parts of the system. So that final stage has a lot to do with installing a dashboard, listening to some key metrics, and then letting your business tell you where it's broken and then when it's not quite working optimally or the way that you would like, you go to work on it at the system level and you you pull out that part of the machine, you rebuild it, maybe you rebuild your sales part and then you insert it back into the machine and then see how it goes. The other reason as well, it's important to reach MVP, sorry, MVS, minimum viable systems before you get to that optimized stage is sometimes you might make a change in one system up here, but it'll affect something downstream that you might not have recognized. And you need to have your dashboard in place. So as you then start to make changes, you can see if it's affecting other things. You don't want to make a, a change in your sales process. That means you convert infinitely higher, but maybe you're over-promising and then you find out further down the line that now you, your operations team can't meet expectations and then you get high churn. So at that last stage as well, we kind of start to set up for success to 
also then be able to work with those consultants. We talked about it earlier. Once you get the cash flow running smoothly, you might be able to find the consultant to solve specific problems. So you, you want to set that base. And, and a lot of that has to do with uh, the optimization phase. There's certain things you can build systems for where maybe it's a little bit easier than others. It's like, oh, to like make the social asset or to like make the proposal or the contract. Then there's other things where you can make the systems and maybe the training's a little bit tougher. Like obviously like doing sales on a strategic sale as opposed to a transaction-based sale, or maybe, you know, an account manager that has to be like a good strategically talking to CEOs. You know, these are both examples of agencies. What advice would you give for building systems around those really crucial, sensitive, high-impact things? Because you kind of said like where people go wrong, it's like, no, we're a bespoke agency. We're so special. Our sales process is so custom. We can never like documented. And I will be guilty of like, I've thought that, but the truth is it's not. So like, what advice can you give for those high touch, very highly scrutinized things? Like what's the best way to build the systems and then hand that off to, to somebody else? Mm. The first thing that needs to happen is you need to build up the muscle for being able to build effective business systems. Don't go for the hardest weights first until you've done a lot of the real basics. So you start off by systemizing everything around maybe the creative part or the bits that are most challenging. And the bits that are most challenging, maybe you just start off with high-level overview type systems that discuss the key milestones, but don't go into the detail because the most complex stuff should be given to your highest skilled team members. And those highest skilled team members will need the least amount of documentation. So you start there first um, and you you do all of the other stuff. And then over time, you'll find as you develop that muscle and you get really good at developing process, you'll be able to just keep chipping away chunks. And before you know it, then you'll you'll go, oh, you know what? If I engineer the good recruitment system that looks for these particular characteristics, I can find the right salesperson who might come in and have a lot of that stuff that I'm looking for baked in. And I just need to give them the framework for the way that we sell here. So I think that's where another place where a lot of people go wrong is they look to something like McDonald's and then they say, ah, I need to systemize like McDonald's because McDonald's is, you know, the poster child for systemization. And everybody says, oh, McDonald's has the greatest systems, yet they're not running a hamburger business and they're not recruiting 15-year-old kids off the street to flip hamburgers. Like you're recruiting skilled team members who know how to do a certain job. And if you over-optimize those systems and go too far into too much detail, the great people won't want to work for you. Like you don't want to tell, you know, someone who's been doing accounting their whole life that, oh yes, to log into MYOB, go to this screen and enter username, then password and hit submit. Like that's just painful for them. So kind of need to think about the role and who's doing it. And that'll also dictate to what level of detail do you need to go. That's really good advice. I'm interested. So you're the systems guy now, right? And talk to me about before like writing the book and all the amazing stuff you've done with your agency, when you're going through this yourself, you can answer this one of two ways. What was the hardest thing for you to do in building your own system for your agency versus what was the biggest unlock where you did it successfully and you're like, holy smokes, this is working. I'd love to see in your personal experience like the kind of highs and lows of it? Mm, I think one of the biggest moments, I remember in the video production business where we went out on a shoot and I was helping the videographer because he needed an extra hands on deck. And I remember hopping into the car and we were about 45 minutes from the office. And I remember having the discussion, remember it like it happened yesterday, we're in the car And my videographer who was driving at the time was asking me questions like, oh, did we pack the spare battery? 
Do you know if we emailed the client to let them know to not wear checkered shirts because that doesn't look great on screen? Did you make sure that we brought that extra lens? Have, have we got the extension cable? Everything that just should have been handled, we spent 45 minutes in the car just talking about stuff that just should have been handled. And I remember at the end of that shoot, I said to him as we were driving back, next time we're going to create a a pre-shoot checklist and we'll have it in the studio. And the night before, we're going to go through the checklist and make sure that everything's ready for the shoot the next day so that you can hit the ground running. So we put that in place. About six months later, I go on another shoot and I remember the discussion in the car was worlds apart. Like he was talking about how he wanted to frame the shots and the wording that he got in the script and what type of performance he wanted and how he was going to get the lighting just right and he wanted to have it in a certain room. And the discussion was worlds apart and it made me realize that systems and process don't remove creativity they actually create the space for the creativity because in business there's a certain amount of stuff that just needs to happen like that from an administrative point of view and you want to get all of that handled so that you then have the space to then bring in that extra thinking so that was one of those moments where i just went and I was like, oh, I, I, I can see this. I didn't just read it. I, I felt it. Uh, that, that was definitely a biggie. It's so true because when you think of systems, like, oh, I need to be creative. I can't focus on systems. But the truth is if you have systems, you create space to where you can actually think and do innovative, interesting new things. But that, that's a really cool, colorful example. The one question I like to end with, I like to ask everybody is, what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? It can be an actual nice thing, or it could be a moment of when someone gave you some tough love. Maybe you didn't want to hear something, but it really helped. But I'd love to see what comes to mind when you hear that. The first one that comes to mind is from the book, I, I'm quite lucky that I get to speak to thousands of business owners around the world and I don't always recognize the impact that the book has and just recently I emailed my database and said oh I'm working on my next book and I would love to put some case studies and stories in there if you'd love to tell your story reach out and we had about 180 people email back and then I had an assistant go through and communicate with them and ask them some extra particulars as we're scheduling them in. And there were just so many stories of, of the impact that it has. And some of those business owners, like they'll do really nice things where out of the blue, like I, I don't, you don't always see the impact that you have and, and like you affect the business owner and then that affects all of their team as well like systems is at the core of every business and it improves the relationship that the business owner has with the business that the staff have with the business that the clients have with the business so the impact is really large and i i randomly out of the blue you know a few times probably yeah over the course of every couple of months i'll just get little gifts and things like that with a little story of someone saying, wow, just wanted to say thank you. This had a huge impact on me or that was the particular turning point. And it's always so humbling because it comes out of the blue and it's this whole story, this microcosmos that's going on in their world that I'm completely unaware of. Yeah, and I, 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 yeah, I love that. I get, I, they're just little reminders that, oh, yes, the work that we're doing is important and impactful because it's kind of easy to get caught up in, what you're doing and kind of forget that bigger picture. But that kind of reminds me that this is why we do the work we do. Yeah. And you're probably harder on yourself than anybody else. You might be focusing on the negative. So when you see the impact, like, oh, wow, this actually is working. That, that's super gratifying. So, yes. so very cool. Well, where should we point people if they want to learn more about you, the book, and honestly, like the, the masterclass and all the other services you're putting out there, where, where can we point people? Yeah, best place is just to head to Amazon and search for a copy of the book, Systemology. 
if you're listening to this, you're probably an audio person, so you can. There's a link from there across to the Audible version. Listen to that. The book is useful, complete, lays out my entire methodology. That's a great place to start. Of course, if you need some more help from there, just systemology.com. We've got a YouTube channel and a bunch of other resources that can kind of help someone get up and running. No, it's amazing. It was really fun preparing for this podcast, going through the framework, because I wasn't even like thinking of questions to ask you. I was more thinking of like, oh, wow, when and how do I apply this to my business? So it, it was extremely helpful. But yeah, for anyone young out there that's trying to make an impact at, the, at their company, I'm telling you, if you become the systems person and you go to your CEO or whoever, and you're like, hey, you want to scale, let's build systems. I think you would knock their socks off and you could blow them away. Because I, I think about like ways to take a smart cut to move up. And I feel like this is an under talked about superpower that companies should have. And I think that the playbook's laid out there. But but David, thank you so much for the time and for all the knowledge you shared. It, it, it's, it's super impressive. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.